0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Start a Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation. I'm hoping helps your business grow. All right, so esports—it's huge. It's everywhere viewers everywhere, more people watching that than physical people sports. So what's the future of this form of entertainment? And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Now, before we get too far into that, I want to let you know that today's episode Start a Puzzle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. With me today, I've got David Sturgeon, and David is the CEO of Pavon Interactive. It's also one of our top denver startups on the 2021 list david welcome to startup hustle
1: yeah thank you so much for having me it's uh, i'm excited to chat
0: yeah and i appreciate you i appreciate you spending some time with us now i like to say that no one tells a story better than ceos and founders themselves so what's your backstory
1: yeah, um, so I have been involved in some sort of startup as long as I can remember. Uh, too early, right after the bubble, I put myself through college with affiliate marketing. Uh, got into my first official startup in 2007. It was a company called eSwarm that pioneered group buying online. So before Living Social and Groupon and all those companies, we were doing that. Um, ran a digital agency for quite a while. We sold a, a software IP to a, a major global company and that transitioned into Pavon Interactive. Uh a, a really close friend of mine. As a matter of fact, my best friend and I were sitting around talking about gaming. It's lifelong gamers. Uh we we're looking at the ways that he plays these games and consistently he wins whenever we play him together i didn't understand why esports was starting to bud uh, and we we looked at at training solutions essentially is what we were looking at how do i play like him Uh, and that was the foundation of our company we really Tried to solve that problem, and we took a, a technological approach to doing it. Um, over the course of three years, we, we founded our company at uh, uh, the very beginning of 2018. And over the course of, of three years, we have evolved. And uh, the pandemic hit. We made a major pivot from training to production. And, and now here we are.
0: Well, let's talk about that, because you use AI, yeah. machine learning, computer vision, a lot of really cutting-edge stuff, things that... Have been around for a while, but aren't as widespread as they have been of of Mm -hmm. late, you know, computer vision for those of you that aren't aware is, is an open source application that helps computers use neural networks to understand and view things in a three dimensional world and it's. Uh, the backbone behind a lot of stuff like driving cars and self-driving cars. And I mean, really just a lot of stuff. It's facial recognition and a whole lot of other things, but it's really neat what people are doing with it. And I'm curious about, you talked about going from training and analytics to production. So what do you guys do with all that stuff?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And you're absolutely right. Computer vision is becoming a more and more viable technology for kind of a general audience. You saw that forever with uh facial recognition, like you said, certainly the most developed use of computer vision right now. But now we see it in in so many different industries, all the way from like, you know, shoplifting prevention to uh, you know, I know some companies that are trying to enforce uh the six feet. Uh, pandemic uh, spacing in lines using computer vision. So there's applications across the entire world now. Um, Self-driving cars are obviously becoming very popular and a more mature technology overall. And for us, it it was a very natural thing. Uh, With games, uh, all of the the data is kind of locked behind private APIs. You don't have a lot of access to what's happening in the game at any given time and so that's that was kind of an essential part for us we needed to understand w- what was the difference between me playing and, and con playing um con by the way sorry is my uh, my co-founder constantine saying so yeah, in computer vision was very natural. We, we would just pump games through these algorithms. Uh, we have an absolute genius data scientist who has really uh, addressed a lot of the really difficult challenges of such a dynamic, fast paced, high color, low contrast kind of experience. And um, we were able to produce a lot of data out of that and just consistently pull frame by frame every data or every every point of data that we needed as points of comparison. Um, and that ultimately led to us having all of these various applications of that data, like training or whatever else from that point forward. Yeah. So when you talk about
0: using it for production, what does that mean?
1: Yeah. So like I said, we started as training. We wanted to use data to go from comparing one data set to another to improve. And we found that uh, we were a little bit early there. So what we actually do now is our... Our, our consumer product is uncandy.gg it watches live streams in real time at scale and automates the production right so we know so you, like you said at the beginning streaming is is just like it's a viewership is highly competitive it's it's a budding industry right you have billions of viewership hours there was a, a guy relatively recently in january who had 2.4 million concurrent viewers watching a single stream that's an insane number right for on for contrast there the uh, the Super Bowl had five point seven million live stream viewers, right? So th- this one person was fifty percent of the Super Bowl, right? Um, the problem is is that if you look across the entire landscape, it's pretty much public access. Right? You see you see a face cam and maybe some low production value thing here, right? The content is the person. The person is entertaining. They're engaging. They're, they're why I'm watching. They're building a community. The production is actually really, really difficult, which is why you see such consistency of low quality productions. Um, so that's the problem we tried to solve. It, Computer Vision was perfect for that. We knew what was happening in the game. We knew what's happening on the stream. So let's automate the production. So that's entirely what we do. We use computer vision to analyze the stream in real time at scale for pennies. Right. And we provide professional overlays. We essentially act as a production team for a single person.
0: So for those of you that, that want a, a more blue collar explanation of that and for, <laughs> as the producer of Startup Hustle TV, which is the video version of this that is now live on YouTube, come over and check it out. Uh, video production takes a while, man. It's like, it's time consuming. And it, you know, for example, when you watch our recent episodes and you see things like us being uh, powered by Silicon Valley bank and our crowd and stuff like that, those are all overlays and things that we go in and do by hand. And, you know, honestly, if four pennies, that stuff was accurately and predictably placed in there. It would save us a lot of time because you know you yeah. got to, you know, and it's the same thing with uh, and and you know this episode isn't actually we're not we we should probably have live streamed the uh, the episode about gaming live streaming, but <laughs> but part of that is you know like uh, it, it, right now we're able to see each other and. You know, if you've ever watched our live streams or seen on YouTube, you see that we have a nice little frame. That's an overlay. You have captions. And there's the thing is like our host and part of why we don't live stream every episode anymore is it's kind of a pain in the ass just to keep up with that. And yeah. we're using a pretty sophisticated platform and you know, but we have to trigger that stuff manually. And, and, the, and part of that is it makes it hard to maintain what are known as brand standards and just different stuff. Like Andrew does it different than I do it. And Lauren does it different on her shows. And, you know, David, so, you know, we've got multiple hosts on Startup Apostle. So you try to get all that stuff done consistently. And then sometimes just even remembering to do it at all. Now, I would imagine as a gamer, I mean, your, your hands are busy, so being able to do that mm-hmm. stuff. So so why do you do that? Well, you want to be able to, I mean, if you have 2.4 million people viewing, you've got a lot of impressionable ad space.
1: <laughs> so impressionable ad space, yeah. I mean,
0: is that really the key objective in the end is to try to help people do something with that?
1: Yeah, so you you actually covered a variety of different kind of pain points across that, right? You're, you're talking about the bandwidth that a, a live streamer has, right? As a gamer, that's really very powerful. I'm playing the game. I'm trying to talk to my audience. I'm trying to be engaging. And also, I have to control our production, right? It's like Michael Jordan stopping a layup to put an overlay on ESPN. It's, it's the exact same thing. It's not going to happen, right? You're not going to be able to do that successfully. Um, so automating that process will elevate the stream in general. It becomes a fundamental.
0: Ooh. And speaking to live streams, we got cut off.
1: Wait, did I lose you?
0: Yeah. And we're back. I actually said, speaking to live streams, we got cut off, which shows you the complexity of it. So go <laughs> ahead and enough. pick up right where you left off. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, you know, obviously, the, the 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 bandwidth of a live streamer is challenging, but the other side of that is what you just said: brand placement, sponsorship placement, brand consistency. So think about some of the bigger esports organizations or content creation organizations, right? A lot of them understand that the brand that they're building is where their value is, right? You have these massive reaches of these these audiences or of these companies to to massive audiences, and their brand is inconsistent. I, I have uh, content creators, hundreds of them, maybe, across multiple, multiple different live streaming platforms, and they could put a logo up or they could not. They could forget. The logo could be out of resolution, right? At whatever, right? We have the ability to unify all that automatically. So I'm chief marketing officer of XY brand company. I have 100 streamers. I want to change my brand, or I have new creative, or I have new sponsors. Based on what's happening in the game, even, We can elevate that too, right? You see Gatorade Red Zones or whatever, Red Bull Red Zones, all these sports analogies where something amazing happens, everybody's hyped and bam, logo on the screen because that's the most valuable time, right? We know what's happening in the game. You know, you're playing a really popular first person shooter and you get 10 kills in a row, you're screaming, your audience is going crazy, sponsored by Gatorade, right? Like there's a lot of opportunity on the brand, on the sponsorship side of things as well. That's a little bit phase two for us. Um, we actually are actually talking to some, some businesses about implementing that. For me, it's more important that we elevate the industry as a whole first. There's such an opportunity for live streaming to be, and it is already a, a major form of entertainment, but to even become more, and to become more powerful and more engaging. And for us is a fundamental tool that takes a really long time or it takes a really long process of its setup and education and engagement, all the stuff, and reduces it down to something that's very simple. And me as a brand new streamer can do really simply and have a professional level broadcast. That's so interesting to me. Uh, and I think there's real value there. So
0: yeah. So as a startup in a business, is your path to revenue both from the gamer itself and also the advertiser?
1: Yeah, there's so much money on both sides of it, right? Um, you know, content creators, as you continue to generate scale, you have so many various different types of revenue streams, right? Um, that it's it, once you get going and you get your audience and you start to engage. Uh, monetization at that point becomes relatively process. Uh, And and so for us, engaging with that revenue stream is easy on the obviously on the brand side and advertising side, there's a lot there. Um, More importantly on the team and the brand side, being able to do that consistency, that unification, there's a lot of opportunity there as well. So uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, at, for once again, for I like to drop
0: some little uh, cliff cliff note style uh, input for uh, listeners that might not know what we're talking about at some yeah. moments. And that's a common that can be a common thing. We cover a lot of topics here on Startup yeah. Hustle, but as a content creator. And someone, all right, so this podcast was listened to in 177 countries last year. Uh, Our web series is off to a hot start. And because of that stuff, I've also written books and done a lot of stuff. And people are constantly asking me, how do I monetize my podcast? How do I monetize my YouTube? Like, So when YouTube shows you ads that's a built-in form that's making it easy for the content creator to monetize their efforts and what they're doing so you can just that's kind of like a plug and play and that's that's the that's the sophistication of youtube is they're getting you to do all the hard work and creating the content and their delivery vessel makes it easy for you to show ads so that's on some levels so yeah, and some in some level, that's what we're discussing here. And, you know, the thing is, is, is don't don't fool yourself. YouTube's competition is Facebook, Instagram, all the other things that you can put your eyes on. And so the longer they keep you in there, the more money, the more that cash register is going to ching to ching to ching But without selling the impressions, the ad space, and all that comes down to formulas and a whole lot of different stuff. So anything that, in my opinion, that makes it easy for content creators to actually pull a a dollar, a dime, or a penny out of that, well, it's good because it's hard to do. So without those kind of tools and without that kind of access, you have to go out and hit the streets. You have to basically be a salesperson. You have to be knocking on doors or you have to build an audience that's big enough that they come knock on your door. And the problem is, is there's not a whole lot of people that are in that latter version where people are knocking on your door and saying, will you give my brand mention? Will you wear this? Will you do this? Will you do that? So you get all these, there's this like content creator void that you get into (laughs) where it it can, the efforts and the energy to do it at one in one phase of it. And it's not just getting started because you start all this shit as a hobby. Yeah, you know, you know, I mean, and if you don't, you're usually starting for the wrong yeah. intentions, but you start <laughs> with with that and then and then all of a sudden it gets big enough and then you're like, I don't know, you have to kind of make this you have this, this, uh, this seesaw tipping point moment. And those are the I think those are the hardest for most people to get through because your production costs can rise, you got might have to do it a little more. And yeah, so I commend you for helping just people in general, like, hey, if you can't, it really, if you don't monetize what you're doing, it really is a hobby oh, or yeah. it's an expense. Yeah. So well, e- us, either are the same.
1: <clears throat> that, that, that problem that that process that you just described of going from just starting to having some level of tipping point later on there's a lot that happens that has to happen in that period of time that's like a very small streamer a very small creator going to a little bit bigger a little bit bigger generating some consistency and then finally getting to a point where that growth is just happening automatically right one of the things that i love about what we're doing right now is we make a lot of that easier a, a lot of that becomes a little bit more streamlined you just kind of understand you don't have if I if I want to start a live stream, the learning curve is insane. I have to learn whatever OBS, some some broadcasting solution. I have to understand how to create these graphic design elements. I, I have to do all of these. Uh, I have to understand hardware and what microphones versus all that stuff. Right? There's a lot to learn. um And I, I would say the lots to pay part for of that, too.
0: I mean, to pay a lot. I mean, a lot of that too. stuff isn't cheap. I, I worked in the music industry for almost a decade on the musical instrument side of things, and like a good microphone, several hundred dollars. And then you might need different mics for different reasons. Cameras, mm-hmm. same story, and mm-hmm. platforms, like you talked about, like all of it. If you don't want to look like you're on the JV team, you usually got to find some help. Or and yeah. that's that's what I said. It starts to suck up all your time. Now, you know, we yeah. we're we're in a good spot because full scale, which who sponsors many of our episodes for this reason. You know, we have a lot of people and a lot of resources, but I talk to people all the time and they say, man, I don't have 200 employees, you know, like it's <laughs> me. And then all this, you know, and that you really have to try to figure out and streamline is the key, the key word there. Like yeah. be able to streamline the activity from production and, you know, producing it is enough work. <laughs> <laughs> and getting it to not suck you know and then and then another thing too is it if, is if all of your energy and time is spent doing that i would imagine that in the world of gaming then you're probably not practicing your gaming and getting any better at that. I don't know. That, man, I still I still like so we got a Nintendo Switch for our kids for Christmas and I still play I am forty-five years old, man. So I still play the classic Nintendo. I've been oh, I'm yeah. still trying to beat I'm still trying to beat Mike Tyson's punch out, which is now just called Punch Out. <laughs> you know, and and I I mean I can't make it past Soda Popinski. So there's you know, there's I'll nothing get there. wrong with that. Yeah. No, but and I spend about fifteen minutes a month. On that right now, so I'm probably not going to make it, make it past oh, that. Yeah, now, yeah I'm, I'm completely Literally fascinated man. with 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 esports though, and despite not really being what I'll call a gamer myself, um, you mm-hmm. know, it is really interesting the way that it uh, had come up. We did an episode when COVID had first hit, and it was related to industries that would likely benefit from from COVID <laughs> in their work, yeah. and I, it's and esports was high on that list do you think that the industry in general did have an uptick with everyone kind of stuck at home? Because a lot of things yeah. like traditional board games, sales like doubled.
1: Yeah, uh, I, without question. Um, and, and you have to actually look at a variety of different things. Esports is actually a segment of gaming overall, right? So, and then live streaming is actually different than that. So live streaming in general had an enormous increase. I, I, I'm sure you can look it up. There's a thousand different statistics on that. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a big impact because you have this entertainment medium that was fresh and it was I've watched everything on Netflix that I want to watch. So what am I gonna do now? Right. Well, live streaming is a great opportunity for that. Uh Esports grew. I don't know the number. I I think it grew a little bit less overall than I think the initial expectation was because you had a lot of these, uh, you know, in-person events that were canceled or rescheduled. And um, as opposed to sports, esports was able to adapt to that and and actually consistently improve, but um, probably not at the the growth rate than I think you might have predicted uh, and then gaming overall was was significantly higher, right? You're talking about a massive, massive industry bigger than you know music, movies, and television combined, right there. So that's only going to go crazy when everybody's at home behind a machine. So, yeah, that's it, when when COVID hit. It was it was really interesting mm. because you have people that would make predictions, and everybody thought it was going to be this way, and it, in a lot of ways, it was. Um, it was certainly and, and- unique.
0: Anytime something grows as fast as esports d- d- did and has, the n- those numbers are unsustainable, you know, because, oh, and, yeah. and I mean, it's so, so sometimes stats don't tell you the entire story. And honestly, I haven't gone back and followed up on that. We probably, I, and let me make notes real quick to <laughs> kind of need a follow up on that. So see, we like to, we often, we often uh, try to be prophetic with predicting what will occur. And then we don't really hold ourselves accountable. Speaking of (laughs) holding yourselves accountable, are you tired of trying to find software developers for your company? Most people and companies are, that's what we help you with at full scale. And today's episode of startup hustle is brought to you by fullscale.io. We help you build a software team made of experts that do what you need to do and give you a direct line of sight to managing that team the best way to do it people go to fullscale.io to learn more about how we do it speaking of how did you have any mentors investors or people that were instrumental in helping you build what you're doing now
1: yeah that's that's a really great question because that for me in startup is the most important thing that you can do um i i don't care about much else if you want to start a company and you have the ability to do that in your life the first thing that you do is find some mentors that's the first thing um, we were really, really fortunate that that actually happened very, very early for us. And um, I, I, I might have people that argue this with me, but I will say that the best decision that we made in this company over the three years was bringing on our coach, mentor, and advisor. Both is uh, the founder, one of the co-founders of IGN, uh, a startup guy through and through. His name's Eric Marcoulier. Um, he's, he's a, uh, staple of the startup community and he has been pivotal in helping us avoid some of the biggest mistakes that we've ever made that aside, right. We also went through the TechStars program with the Comcast, with Comcast lift labs out in Philadelphia. And if you know anything about TechStars, TechStars is a mentor driven program where they introduce you to a, just a huge network of mentors, uh, and while we had some experience with that on our side, going through Techstars opens you up to this just whole new world of I can get a question answered that I might never be able to get answered. I can get somebody to help me with the problem. It's it's just such – it's been such a value to us over the last year. We went through the 2019 program and um, – Everybody involved with that has has really just just proven that if you have advisors, you have mentors, you have people who are willing to invest financially or not in the success of your company, and more importantly, the success of you. Uh, it gives you a ten x, hundred x, thousand x leg up on on somebody who doesn't have that. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and we've had if you want to learn more about tech stars, just go to our feed and look up tech stars because we've actually had episodes that are based just on that. And man, who knows? I mean, I a lot, a lot. We're I mean, we're we're in the approach pattern to episode six hundred at this point. So <laughs> how many companies have been in tech stars and really other accelerators? And if you want to just learn more about accelerators in general as well, like There's a ton of episodes just about that. Uh, You can search for that stuff inside the feed. You know, one of the things that's great about companies like tech or organizations like Techstars is there's a it's kind of like an advanced validation stamp in many regards. Because Techstars does actually make the same kind of well, it's not a tiny number, but it's not massive, but it's kind of a micro investment. They have a vested interest in the success of the people that are involved in their cohorts, and that's great. And, and it, but it does certainly help when it comes to taking the product to market. So, I mean, mm-hmm. after TechStars and with all this stuff rolling out in a in a world of of lockdown, and also a rapidly crowded marketplace, I would imagine in esports. How did you get your product to market? Or I mean, what was the what was the plan? And how did that? How did you do that? Yeah. Or how are you doing it?
1: Well, we're definitely still doing it. Uh, that's an interesting kind of story. We we didn't have, when we were going through the Techstars program, we were doing training, right? We were trying to match these gamers to improvement. And while the messaging was interesting, the technology that we had at the time wasn't real time. We were analyzing video on demand. Uh, so you would have to spend you know, 30 minutes uploading a five gigabyte file to get an analysis. It just wasn't a good user experience. So we had launched uh, an early access program, completely open, tons of people bought into the idea, very, very few people engaged. Uh, So right around the time uh, that the pandemic started really creating all these lockdowns, uh, my co-founder and I sat down and we just were like, look, this is not working the way that we need it to work. And we have now this incredibly black box of unknown what's going to happen throughout the rest of the year. Like, how are we going to move forward? Um, so we went into pure customer discovery and uh, TechStars was a great opportunity to help us with that. Cause it gave us access to all of these various different people in our industry that we might not have had access to just to have a conversation, right? What are we doing? What is your problem? How are you doing? What can we help you with? Right. Um, and ultimately, that led over the course of several months to some business to business opportunities. And then finally, around that time in, in August, one of my engineers who had been very heads down, kind of on his own, came to me and said, guess what? We can now do this in real time at scale. And uh, that that changed everything for us right now. Now that we have the ability to watch as many streams as we want for very, very little money, uh the applications for our technology went off the rails right and that's what ultimately led us to providing this opportunity for streamers because we knew there was a challenge there we had tons of people tell us that's a pain point for me something we could easily we our first iteration we we launched instant replays it was the first thing we did you can just now replay your game automatically right super simple just uh, it, it just was massive people loved it they loved the idea of that and um, adding on more and more and more feature sets that really actually solved the problem more uh, allowed us to grow. So we launched our private uh, invite-only beta uh, the very end of December. And our growth over the last eight weeks has been 5x what it was throughout the entire early access launch we had last year. So,
0: so when it comes to computer vision, even though it's technically been out for quite a while, uh, there aren't a whole lot of people that do it. And are, are good at it. And I know that because uh, a, a startup hustle alumnus and a friend of mine, a guy named Joel Tepley, who runs Cambrian, uh, a company called Cambrian here in Kansas City. And they do a ton of stuff with computer vision. But it, when he was on the show, I asked him, or maybe it was off the show, I can't remember. But I asked him, I said, how many, so he has 10 years of experience with computer vision, which is, <laughs> by the way, almost unheard of. You know, I asked him, I said, how many people in the United States have your level of experience? And he said, maybe 200. Yeah. right and and because 10 years ago people just weren't doing it now obviously a lot of people are flocking to it experience is one of those things you know that they say that in order to become an expert you need ten thousand hours of flight time but you can't speed that up necessarily so have, has that been a, has that been an obstacle or a roadblock for you with yeah. developing some of this like finding the actual people to do it and I, I ask out of having a business that does nothing <laughs> try to help people fill these gaps. So I understand like the struggle is real because people reach out and they say, do you have computer vision developers? And I rarely do. I have a couple of them, but they work full time for other clients and with no real, uh, outlook of them being available maybe ever.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I love that question because it gives me the opportunity to brag for a second. Um, but I'll start by answering the question and saying, yes, getting computer vision developers is difficult. However, for us, my co-founder, uh, who is significantly the better half of this company, is an Oxford PhD who has worked for 10 years on NASA projects um, that have involved large-scale data, a variety of other things. Uh, so we have, when we started this company, that's it's an interesting thing. Like, is there something that can just watch you play, was the question that I asked him. And he said, yeah, there's this thing called computer vision. And that was You know, uh, it was even, I think, a little bit before it became viable. So we have deep just founder experience in that. Um, And we were really, really fortunate to bring on our lead data scientist who was just at the beginning of his coding career, who uh, fell in love with data science overall, but had a lot of his core experience inside of computer vision. And he has just every single week been a champion for really new innovation solutions, because we have a lot of challenges there. Like... Computer vision for facial recognition is is a very developed technology at this point. Computer vision for self-driving cars is starting to get there, too, for numbers and text on a screen even, right? But for an in-game event that is happening... In a fraction of a second, and you go from a white on white background, you have to know a little bit about computer vision to understand the challenges here, but uh, a white on white background where you have white text over a white background and you're trying to read what that text is, that's impossible, right? If your eyes can't see it, the computer can't see it. So we have to kind of innovate ideas on how do we handle that scenario? How do we handle when this is happening? Because it happens pretty regularly in games, whereas it doesn't in real life. So uh, finding developers is, I mean, finding engineers in general is a challenge. Finding people that are a good match for your company, for your company culture, who have the ability to, in, in a startup, you know, better than I likely that it's, it's not always okay to just hire an engineer. That's this one task, this one thing, right? You need the guy who's just a unicorn, who's going to come in, um, and just do all of the things. Uh, and that's a tall order. So, um, yeah, I, I think we've had you, challenges you just there. Descri-
0: you just described what, what we. I often make the comparison when it comes to engineers and developers of being a sword or a Swiss Army knife, and and you nailed it because at an early stage in a company you want Swiss Army knife, not a, not a sword, yeah, um, yeah, because that's someone that can do a whole lot of different things. Now, when you go out to battle and you're out at market, you do need to start putting swords on the front lines, and those are those are the developers and engineers, and this is why I said that that. And these are these are usually people with hot that are highly specialized and they yeah. have done things for a significantly long amount of time. And that's part of where technology and the manpower to create technology has really lapsed. And you know, overall, like whether you agree with it or not, the stats just show that. Well, a lot of a lot of these other countries, the Philippines, Eastern Europe, uh, and I understand Eastern Europe isn't a country. It is a region. Um, And then India have really they they got a lot of their students into computer science a lot earlier than we did and in larger volumes. So, uh, you know, if you can't find what you if you can't find what you need in a specific market, you go to another market. And yeah. that's where kind of offshore. And, and like with us, we we actually just work on, we. it's almost like just staff augmentation because we're really picky with the clients that we pick because we only hired like top 10, top 20% kind of developers. And those kind of people only want to work with other experts. So we have to pick the right kind of clients or our, or our team doesn't really want to work with those clients or at least not for too long. But uh, I, I would imagine that having a cornerstone Engineer and someone with that that can teach other people really cool and interesting stuff is probably helping you get other talent, which
1: yeah is important too. Not to mention the industry as a whole is a fun industry. Like esports and gaming is a young, vibrant industry. I mean, it's an old industry, but it's still very fun to be a part of, right? And and it's romanticized. So when you go to an engineer and say, "Hey, you're going to help completely re envision and and define the fundamental experience of live streamers." that's a powerful statement. And it's, it's actually kind of, it's an easy conversation starter.
0: Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, so what is it, what, like, right at this stage in your business, what's a win, what does a win look like just on, I mean, any a, overall?
1: <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I mean, there's hundreds of wins. My favorite wins that we currently have pretty much every day are some of the reviews and just the things that people are saying. So, um, I very regularly I'm getting an experience of somebody creating content about what we do and putting that content public and completely unpaid completely unrequested they just love what we're doing they create some content about describing it and they put it out there and it somehow lands on my desk and it is such a win it's such a rewarding experience to see that we're having this impact so i know that's a little bit a generic response but for me that's a win right now right but we have a lot it's of not metrics it's not
0: it's not that's not called a earned pr and it's it's really uh, valuable i mean earned pr is is exactly that it's earned through doing something else and that can come from Everything from your user angels to just publicity, you know, like um, I woke up last week to learn that I was added to the Forbes 1000 list for startup entrepreneurs. And I was like, shit. okay." now (laughs) I'm like, really not. I really don't care about too much of that stuff. It's just not really what drives me. And I also think a lot of those lists, well, they're paid and jaded. Like they're t- they they have different objectives than being pure. But when I saw that, that was like, oh, oh shit, that's good, that's good earned PR. Like, right. and especially at, at an early stage in a business, the more that you can stack up. Well, first off, it's free, so the yeah. price is right. And and it, and often, you know, the the thing is, is it gets pe- that same PR gets passed around. Like the same day that list came out, the Kansas City Business Journal did a different article about four people from Kansas City being on the list. So it, yeah. you know, earned PR, uh, seeds, uh, more PR and really in the end, like I'm a, my superpower is creating hype. So whenever other people do it for me, I'm, I'm excited about that. Cause I'm like, all right, cool. And, but you gotta learn how to take that stuff and how to parlay it into something else and, and yeah. also do it in a way that is humble and palatable, you know, like, yeah. and you know, cause really in the end, it wasn't me that deserved to be on that list. It's all my employees at full scale and start a hustle. So, yeah. you know, because without them, I mean, I'm just a dude looking for something to do, quite honestly. So, <laughs> you,
1: you know, me I mean, see that exactly the same way. Yeah. My, my, I mean, it's just really the really truth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, it's really that's the truth, absolutely so. true. All
0: right. Yeah. So, we, we, we talk about wins and losses on this show. And that's, that's probably of our earned PR. That's where, that's the feedback we get that people <laughs> like. So, Um, I know we talked about at the beginning of the show, there was a little bit of a pivot involved, but tell us a story about something that you guys didn't do well, or something that you thought would go a lot better than it did, or I don't know, where's, where's something you look, what's something you look back at and you're kind of, for most people are like, wow, I can't, I I thought that was going to work. And then they look back at it and they're like, how did I ever think that was going to work?
1: Yeah. Well, I would hope that that happens pretty regularly in a startup. I mean, you have to be able to recognize your losses for us. um, You know, I think that I'll I'll actually take the hit on that one because I think it's entirely me. I we we had this really high level, top level success in in our our funnel. Right. We had a lot of people buying. This is back in late 2019. We had a lot of people buying into our message. They were believing that we can help them get better at games and. and then like i said obviously throughout the the onboarding we would see a, an enormous amount of drop off almost to the point where nobody was actually consistently using the thing and um i think very early far earlier than when we actually made the realization you know we could have stopped and looked at what was happening and said okay this is something that needs to be dropped and we need to move away from this rather than try to fix all these little leaky funnel elements and you know we we saw that people would buy in and then when they went to upload a video we lost like 80 percent of our people at that point our, our funnel um and instead of me saying look we need to dive really really deep into why that's happening i was like you know what we should do we should fix the bottom part of our funnel we should make sure that the people that get through actually consistently are retained right or maybe we should decrease or increase the uh the amount of people who are getting to that video upload by optimizing our messaging on the top end. And both were the entirely wrong thing to do, right? We really needed to look at the fundamental reason why things weren't working. Um so yeah, if you ask me the thing that I look back on that I would change, it's a loss, it would be the amount of time that we spent trying to solve the wrong problem there. Um and uh That's I would say there was, know, several fair. weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and, and then, I, you know, I think it, I-
0: in a business though, it's especially a new one, it's hard to determine like what what numbers are good. Cause people ask me all the time. They're like, I have so many subscribers after so long. And I had a call like that last Friday, and I was they're like, Is that good? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you were Snapchat, probably not, but for what you guys are doing, that's probably a big win. And yeah. and you know, that's the thing is is it's very easy to uh, all right. So my wife uses the Duolingo app, she's learning how to speak French and that's a billion dollar company, 2%, 2% of their users actually pay 2%. So the All thing right. is, is if you think about it, when you started that business, unless you, unless that was your metric, I don't think anyone's ever like, man, and if just 2% pay, this would be fucking huge. You know, now, I mean, cause that's not normally like a number, like two, two out of a hundred or one out of 50 isn't usually associated with being like great odds, you know, like (laughs) if you have a one in 50 chance of doing about anything, you're probably not going to do it, but it just, so some, sometimes you just, that's just the way it works. And that was tough for me to figure out at some of the different startups. And, you know, like at gigabook, we went through some of that because we had no idea like what percentage of, of free trials or people that sign up should convert, you know, and, and, and in most cases, quite honestly, it's a pretty low number. I mean, it's it's yeah. often a single digit number. And now that, but you have the right approach. Like, what do we need to do to nurture these people? Because they made it through the gauntlet. And the reason for that is, well, a a lot of a lot of places don't do onboarding well. You know, so you got to make it easy to sign up. You got to make it very intuitive. For us, everything at Gigabook, everything changes. We built a thing we called Smart Start which just had some basic intuition about, well, for example, if you ask someone what their zip code is before you ask them a whole lot of other things, knowing their zip code lets you make like six different assumptions and it shortens your onboarding. I know what city you're in. I know what state, time zone, currency, like a whole bunch of different stuff that you don't have to ask. Like you can ask that (laughs) or all these correct boom and you keep moving. And the main thing is, is we didn't let anyone into the platform until they had completed smart start. So Cause people just want to rush into your platform and then they don't get anything set up. And then you've just got this like orphaned user in there, you know, and yeah. it's like, then there's a whole nother, a whole nother can of worms. And we were scared to let people to block people from entering and poking around. So we did an AB and literally 0% of people that didn't do the onboarding and became paying users later. And it's just cause it was highly customizable and everyone had a different use case. So if you didn't walk them through <laughs> setting it up, and put them in in, in for being in, in an environment that made success for them right away. They just didn't, they usually, well, the other alternative is we could talk to them on the phone or in live chat for like two hours and that wasn't scalable. <laughs> That's so, how we
1: started. We we started yeah. this, in this iteration, we started with, with in-person onboarding, right? We had my, me and my co-founder just back-to-back 30-minute <laughs> onboardings with consumer streamers, just, hey, let's go through, let's set this up together. And, the, and to your point, that's where we've landed. We've landed on the gigabit side of thing. We've landed where things are so simple. We actually eliminate people from the funnel rather than try to optimize for them. Right. Um, no. And that, that, you know, and I'll tell you, um, you know, going through a pivot in, in a company in a startup is a little bit of a, it should be a little bit of a humbling experience, right? Because you have to, you have to drop a lot of your preconceptions about what you're doing. And in a lot of times you're, you're dropping an idea that you f- Convinced yourself to be in love with, or you were in love, with, right? Some for some reason, you know, I we were in love with training people, Um, and so it's really it's humbling to say, well, we're going to put that away, and now we're going to look at something entirely new. And I think that that experience has opened us up to the opportunities of of optimizing or doing things like that, right? Because. We can actually have this different perspective about what we're doing now and this much more humble approach. It's not we're the king of the worlds who are, you know, gonna be the gym equipment of esports. We're we're gonna actually help people meaningfully. And we're only gonna really focus on the people that we can do that with. And we'll get to everybody else as we grow and as we have more opportunity and more resources. But right now, um, that's what we're doing. And I think, think it takes a little bit of a humble attitude to do that, to think about things that way.
0: Yeah, I think one of the more important, uh, one of the more important attributes of, of sophisticated and advanced entrepreneurship is a true understanding of the things you're just not good at, the things <laughs> that you need to change, and also the things that you'll probably never change or be good at. You know, yeah. it's like just accepting that. And, you yeah. know, Matt Watson, my business partner at Full Scale, talks about that on Startup Hustle TV. Once again, if you want to see what it's like to be a startup entre- entrepreneur through the lens, of the startup entrepreneur then come check out startup hustle tv do not watch it with your kids i'll just tell you that right now because there's there's just there's no way to really be a, a startup entrepreneur without using some colorful and flavorful language from time to time or at oh, least yeah. know what you're getting your kids into when you watch it i don't want to tell you that every episode is loaded with f-bombs but there are certainly a few in there and uh We don't filter them out. So speaking of filtering things out, uh, we end episodes of Start a Puzzle, or at least my episodes of Start a Puzzle. I say my episodes because I'm not the only host of the show. Make sure to tune in on Tuesdays, listen to Andrew Morgan's talk primarily about amazon and e-commerce and join thursday episodes with lauren conaway the founder of the founder of innovate her who does some amazing stuff and just got her organization's four thousandth member uh, that's amazing as well. Once again, check us out on Startup Hustle TV. I think you'll like the show. Uh, it's coming out irregularly at this point, at least <laughs> once a week, sometimes twice. But we talked about production and wanting to get it right. We have our our brand standard is we don't release it until we know it doesn't suck. So and that's nice. usually a good, a good baseline brand standard. So with the Founders Freestyle and this episode that once again was brought to you by Fullscale.io, Dave, what's the what's the one advice that you you would give a startup founder just in general?
1: Uh, Yeah, find find a powerful, experienced, uh, bought in (laughs) mentor or advisor, somebody who can help you understand the things that you don't know, um, or at least avoid some of the mistakes that you're inevitably going to. right every startup has makes mistakes they all do right it's about how you respond to that and the changes that you make because of that or um, how much you let that affect your your progress or your company and oftentimes mentors and advisors can from their experience can really help you understand when you're about to make a mistake (laughs) before you actually do it and uh i i if there's any that's hands down without question the piece of advice that i would give any founder
0: since it is still a freestyle section, is there anything else that you'd like to say to the listeners on the way out of this episode?
1: Yeah. Oh, well. it's a marathon. Be 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 prepared for for a, a marathon of sprints. It's incredibly exhausting and rewarding and challenging. I mean, it's your podcast is named Perfect. The startup hustle. It's a hustle, and um, it's it's a long term and short term hustle. Um, but it's worth every minute of it, I think. Uh, this is the this is the third startup I've been a part of, uh, the, uh, the second funded startup I've been a part of. And it's the only thing I will do for the next X number of years of my life. So uh, certainly rewarding.
0: Yeah, overall, yeah. And, and now I'll freestyle as well. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, I could have had this conversation without you saying that you had been involved in other startups and I would have known. Cause I think you hit a lot of the key points that, uh, and, and really you can tell, I mean, and so some of that is, is, you know, I go back and I think about some of the things you said, uh, knowing when to pivot and being okay with it, uh, accepting the, the, the being humble about it. And cause that's the way it's gotta be done. Um, recognizing and identifying the value of earned PR Um, and, and having, I mean, that was your win. Like that's a big plus. I mean, I think that that's smart because if you can get people talking about it and especially with what you do, I would imagine uh, obviously, uh, the more people that see it, see other people using it, that all just trickles down. So I think that that's all really important and good. And, you know, I, I, I commend what you're doing. I think it's really cool. I think the idea of, 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 And I love the idea of, you know, as a gamer and a streamer, uh, I mean, you're creating content. There's just no other. I mean, that's that it is technically content and helping. I'm all for content creators have an easier road and an easier path to revenue. So once again, with us today is Dave Sturgeon, Pivon Interactive. Links and show notes. You all know that already. I'll see you next time, David. Cheers. Thanks.